I'm here today with Manjit and Caroline from Natterhub. How are you today? Great, thank you. Yeah, really good. Thanks for having us. It's, it's my pleasure. So I, I want to start with something that I ask uh, every guest I have. Tell us about yourself before Natterhub. So a little bit about me. So I, I've, I've got about 20, over 20 years experience in, in, in business before I, before I started the Natterhub journey, mainly in property and renewable energy. Property, I spent years kind of building our own portfolio and, and helping high net worth individuals as well to build their portfolio. And on the renewable energy side, helped for a number of years to develop solar farms across the globe. So my background really, you know, it's always been in business. I'm passionate about growing businesses. Before that, I mean, at uni, I studied psychology, which has always been an interest to me as well. I've got two young children nine and 11 and I took some time out to in the early years to help raise them so that's probably me in a nutshell and and as for me I come from an educational background before I met Manjit and was on the Natterhub journey with her I was working as a teacher most of my teaching was actually in international settings so in Amsterdam Barcelona Hong Kong really liked teaching in the sunshine and, and then whilst living in Hong Kong, I set up my first business, The Pedagogues, which is a company that's still running and is Natterhub's sister company. And then, like Manjit, I'm also a mum to two children, aged 13 and nine. And I decided that I needed to tackle something that was of grave concern to me. So I thought really the online space needed, needed some attention. So, yeah, that's what got me to this point. So, Natterhub, when did it happen? Why did it happen? And how did it happen? As I said, I, was, I had set up the Pedagogues, a company based in Hong Kong. But actually, we were supplying paper products to schools, mainly in the UK, but around, around the world as well. And we were supplying schools with certificates and stickers and teaching resources on paper. And it became clear to me that actually the future of um, the business was probably not going to be on paper, but on screens. So when I developed the idea of what children needed in, you know, to, to prepare them to, to live with and through screens, I had the idea of creating a sandbox environment where children can learn everything they need to to be on a on a screen and my head filled with these ideas I was a parent by then as I said so I was really looking at it from an educational perspective but also from a parent perspective so it was the perfect combination of um, what children needed to learn and the fear of a parent about just letting children be online essentially with with very little guidance so I, I had this big idea. It seemed like a complicated idea until I met Manjit. And, and so when I met her, I, I, I'd already kind of put the idea to bed, thinking that it was too great a, a task to try to rescue the children of the world from social media and such things. But then I met Manjit and realised that her skill set 
perfectly complemented my skill set. And from there on, together, we honed the concept of, of Natahub and, and how it needed to work and thrive. So I'll, I'll pass over to Manjit and she can continue on the, the how and the, and the why. Well, we were trying to work it out earlier, I think, how many years we've actually known each other. And I think it's, I think we said six. We were trying to, it's been many years. So we've known each other for six years. Caroline, her son, and my son were, were best friends at school. And Caroline was actually a teacher there as well and, and taught my other son. So that's how we got to know each other. And during that time, I mean, I had taken some time out, like I mentioned, to, to raise the boys they went they went to school and I was then just up for another challenge I wanted to do something different I had a really clear criteria I wanted to make a massive difference I wanted to do something in the education space and I wanted to work on something that would definitely be scalable so I searched for a very long time and our story was that my my husband actually overheard Caroline at a children's party about how she was maybe going to you know like she said maybe you know maybe put it to bed because it was a huge project he came back to me and all he said was you know Caroline's doing she's got this idea it's about teaching uh, children about social media you know via safe social media and you know the product will be it'll be helping children and preparing children to thrive online. So at that point for me, I think as soon as I heard that, I absolutely loved it. Definitely thought it was needed. I didn't know what we were going to do together or how we were going to do it. Even if Caroline wanted me to do it with her at that point, I just knew that I wanted to be involved. So from that point, you know, when we got together, we talked about it. We, Natahub was, was born and that was four and a half years ago. Caroline's a, a super creative with a billion ideas. So when we sat down, there was just so much to it that she'd thought of. So we spent some time stripping it back for, for quite a while, just stripping it back and getting to that you know, MVP product. And we spent years together really fine-tuning what we wanted to achieve. We carried out many focus groups, spoke to thousands of teachers, children, you know, lots of children, parents, just to work out what they wanted and, and how we could help. It was great just working out what we wanted to do. We then went on a funding journey, which was probably, was probably a podcast in itself. And then in 2019, we raised investment. 2020, so last year, we, we launched during the pandemic. And it was, we launched it for uh, the product for free. And, you know, this year, we've We've just recently, the product is free. We've just carried on, really continued with what we were doing last year so that children can connect. And to date, we've helped over 3,000 teachers. We've had 3,000 teachers sign up to Natahub in over 50 countries, which has is, is just been amazing to be able to, to help us, you know, so many children, teachers, schools, and in a nutshell, what it is, is a, a platform that educates young children about being online before they, before they own or have their first device. If I understood you correctly, you 
you launched last year and you already have 3,000 teachers signed from 50 countries. Yes, so we launched in March. We launched as soon as well, the first lockdown. The product wasn't actually ready because we weren't planning to launch then. And it was, it was full of bugs. But we decided to just tell everyone that and tell teachers and schools that, yes, we know we've got lots of bugs and it's not quite finished. But, you know, we obviously always want to improve things. But it was actually good enough and it helped children connect in a, in a child-friendly space rather than children going off and jumping on a game to talk to their friends or whatever. I mean, the biggest thing for children they needed just that social interaction and even though we've got lessons in the platform for online safety which definitely needed at the time as well we decided from a connection point of view it would be great for all classes to connect and while parents and adults try to work out you know our world was it still is kind of crazy but just trying to work out what was happening at least children could communicate with their friends safely. I think these are some astounding numbers for for a product that was launched last year. So really, congrats on that. But I want to dive deeper into the term digital intelligence. Can you explain to us what do you mean by digital intelligence and how do you teach it to children? Sure. Well, really, because of what Natahub is aiming to achieve, Natahub is a safe, gated social media platform designed for primary schools so that they can teach children in in the appropriate environment everything to do with being on a screen whether that's communication digital communication whether that's messaging whether that's balancing their time on and off screen whether that's developing digital empathy whether that's learning the importance of kindness and, you know, finding out where your digital moral compass is. So there, there is, there's such a, a long list of skills that we take for granted when we put children onto screens. And, and, and actually being on a screen and communicating with somebody that you can't see is a very abstract concept for children. Children in, in non-screen based environments, they have other cues and clues as to you know how to make the right choices and how to communicate because they can see somebody's face or their expression or but when you put children on a screen it makes it much more difficult to do that so we're now living in a digital landscape where children have adapted very quickly and we all know of young people who and and very very young children who can cope with the the functionality and the and, and the controls of being on the screen. They know how to swipe, they know how to drag and drop something. They've picked that up very quickly. What we know as a result of the statistics about the potential risks of being on a screen is that they can't always understand the how to navigate the interactivity, the, the emotional quotient of, of being on a screen and communicating in that way. So to answer your question, what is digital intelligence? I think it's, it's a meld of all of those things that's required to keep yourself safe and informed and savvy and confident and more than anything, digitally resilient to the inevitable bumps that somebody, you know, that a child and, and a young person and, and, a, and an adult is inevitably going to come across 
when they're online and and how do you teach it to children well I guess this is a question of pedagogy and 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 as an educator and all of the teachers will know that if you give children real life experiences or an experiential learning environment then the impact of what they will learn will be so much deeper and more meaningful and therefore the reason that we've created Natahub in the way that we have is so that for the child who is role-playing at being online, who is role-playing at being on a social media site, who is role-playing at being in that gaming environment, then they are learning through doing. And um, to them, it looks like the real deal and it feels like they're really in, in an online space, but actually it's gated to the school community so that it's safe and it's a place where children can fall and scrape their knee and pick themselves back up and and the impact of their mistakes and remembering that that's how children learn through their mistakes is is done in in such a way that they will be able to safely make mistakes and not feel the impact as they would were they practicing these digital skills this digital intelligence in the real online space children were already spending a lot of their time in front of screens. But now with the pandemic, when education moved moved to the screens as well, it's probably increased even more. How important do you think balancing screen time is? And what's the way to educate a, ch- a child about it? I think rather than the time actually spent, I think what's important is what they're actually doing online, you know, being online, there's lots of positive things that we can be doing. So it depends what they're doing. I mean, are they are they carrying out a, a fitness, you know, you know, are they doing a fitness video? Are they getting creative? Are they looking at quality uh, content? Are they learning? You know, what is it that they're doing rather than how long are they spending? I mean, I think obviously children, just like us, we all need to take breaks. But I think the key is if they've if they're healthy and and you'll know if they're your you know your child is healthy and balanced is your child sleeping is your child healthy are they engaged at school are they socially connecting online and offline are they doing exercise and if they're you know if they're doing everything else and they're online and looking at the right things then it, it's okay <laughs> and i think at the moment the screen time i mean as a company we we always say it's just what what are, you, what are you doing online? It's not the time. I know lots of people mention that it, you know whether it's half an hour, twenty minutes, an hour. But like you said, everyone's online more. Homeschooling, my boys are online all day and they're learning, so it's fine. And they do take time out as long as they're taking time out. I think you know I think it's okay. In the in the platform, just so you know, we've got we know that every everyone's got a different thought process with this so we have created a feature in the platform that that teachers can actually you know that they can just set a timer for their children as to how long they spend on Natahub. so whether that will be 30 minutes or three hours that's their choice depending on you know what what they feel is right and there's also opening hours of you know whether it's nine till three or nine to one or whatever it might be that they can use Natahub. so I think the most important thing is is what you're doing. I mean, Caroline, I don't know if you want to to add to that. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, just to echo what Manjit said, I think we know now that children live a very, very blended online, offline life. And it's very difficult for children to differentiate between their life offline and online, because actually it's usually a little bit of both in, in one form or another. And once you start having conversations with children about their experiences on screens, they're very good at telling you how different experiences online make them feel. So you've got a child that could be mindlessly scrolling through social media, maybe feeling a little bit anxious because all of their friends seem to be having so much fun and they're not really doing something, to playing a really, really fast-paced, exhilarating, dopamine-inducing kind of game environment, which can be very thrilling. But then equally, you know, a child could be using a screen to do a, you know, pencil sketch of a, you know, an owl, which is very relaxing and, and could be seen as mindfulness. And so really, I think it's, it's more and more. And certainly the result of the pandemic has shown that we are depending on screens so much more heavily and in such a wider variety of ways. So we're now looking to do things through a screen that previously were not screen activities, like this meeting, for example. You know, and I had a, an email just two days ago from my daughter's school to say that they were now offering extracurricular activities through Zoom. And her response was, oh, but I, I've just spent all day on a Zoom doing my lessons. I don't really, even though it's a really nice idea to then do an art class, I don't want to do it through a screen. So I think it's just about finding a comfortable off, off or away from a screen so that there is that balance. And there's that balance of response, whether it's, you know, really exciting or really calming. But yeah, and I think the way to educate a child about it, really the best way is through conversation and dialogue. And understanding how, even as a parent, I think it's clear to see as a result of different personality types, whether your screen is very, your, your child is very screen focused, and maybe they find it really difficult to put their screen down, you might have another child who's not as interested. So I think it's about dialogue. I think it's about setting, setting boundaries. And as Manjit said, we as a company, we really encourage both dialogue and boundary setting by the caregiver in order to keep our children, you know, in this balanced state. Focus on digital relationships and the importance of empathy. Now, I completely agree with you about the importance of empathy. For me, it should be, it should be taught to, to children from as early age as possible. But I struggle to understand how exactly can you make kids more aware of it, especially in a digital environment. Um, yeah, I, th I think this goes back to the things that we were just saying about our approach about teaching digital intelligence. I think empathy goes hand in hand with that because with empathy, you are putting yourself into somebody else's shoes. If we look at the definition of empathy, it's that being able to understand somebody else's perspective. And I think when children are communicating through a screen or through an avatar or through something that is quite abstract, they, they have fewer social cues as to how the person that they are communicating with may feel as a result of their actions. 
So I think, it, again, it's, it's down to dialogue. It's through a systematic scheme of work where you are integrating it into every conversation possible that there is a human at the end of your communication line that somebody will read it, somebody will have an emotion in response to uh, something that you've written or something that you've said. And, and with Natahab, we, we use empathy to underpin every one of our lessons in our, in our platform because we know that empathy and, and resilience are the two key ingredients to not just keep yourself safe, but be aware of the impact that you're having on, on others. So because we've created this sandbox environment where children are able to role play being online and role play being in a social media, digital communicative situation, it, it's enabling children to have the opportunity to talk in the classroom about how somebody might feel. And it's, it's, it's really simple things for children. One of the activities that we've done that's had a really great response when we've been around schools is just showing children the impact of using the wrong emoji. So, you know, within our platform, we type, you're coming to my house today, Dennis. And then, and then it might be that, you know, we ask the children, which emoji would you, would you like to receive on the end of that message? And they'll say, oh, put the, put the smiley face, the dude with the sunglasses on. And then, you know, ask the children, how would you feel if you got that message? Oh, so nice. You know, really can't wait to go to, you know, to their house to play. And it makes the person who sent the message look like a really nice person. And then you write the same message. You are coming to my house today, Dennis. And then use the wrong emoji. Put an angry face emoji on the end of that message. And you can hear the children, you know, a very young age, you know, six years old. Oh, that's really bad. That would make me feel really sad. That makes the person who wrote the message look like not a very nice person. But because you're opening up and because that's what Natahub does, we've created it in a way that allows children to feel, feel as though they're in the right environment to learn these crucial di digital skills. Let's talk about the education in the UK. If I understood correctly, Caroline, you were, you were a teacher or are you still a teacher? I think once you're a teacher, Dennis, you're always a teacher. <laughs> but I'm I'm no longer teaching in school. So yeah, I was I was a teacher and assistant head teacher. So yeah, I do I come from an educational background. Well, my next question is about education from your point of view. First of all, as you were a teacher, and second of all, for both of you, Manjit and Caroline, being part of an edtech, what do you think are the three key areas that need dramatic improvement? Manjit, I'll let you go first on this yeah. one. It'd be okay. good to hear your, your non-educational background first. Yeah, I think, I think the first one for me would be, I, I just feel that teachers just need to be valued. I think the system needs to change in terms of, you know, just, ha just teachers have just do so much for, for our children. And I'm hoping, you know, I think parents have realised that now when they have to just homeschool their their children just to realize what goes into it but I, I really I really wish that that could change because they're just so important in in you know the, with what they do it's amazing and I just feel that that's one thing that we need to just totally value our our, our teachers 
The second thing for me is it, you know, during lockdown, you know, with what we're doing, we're teaching online safety, we're teaching digital literacy. Obviously, we spoke about digital intelligence, where we're teaching our children about being online. And, and during lockdown, you know, the stats are horrific, you know, with, with child sexual abuse online. We've, we've become members with the Internet Watch Foundation. And even this week, you know, there's been stats that self-generated child sexual abuse has increased by 77%, which is, which is really, you know, it's really sad. And I think with education, you know, I, I feel that online safety, I, I know this is what we do and, and obviously it's the most important thing to us, but I do really feel that even with my children, it's great with what they're learning at school, but this has to be, this has to be priority. This is real world, real life skills we're all in our in a digital world. It's just absolutely essential. Last year, you know, the online safety did become compulsory in the UK curriculum, which is fantastic. So that was a, a step in the right direction. We would have done this anyway. You know, uh, when we were going for our fundraise, people would say, oh, you know, how are you going to do it? It's not in the curriculum. But we just know that, you know, we knew that this is something that is essential and we would figure it out. <laughs> and But last year it, it did become compulsory and that was like, great. You know, now schools know that they have to teach this. But I still feel that it needs to be kind of, you know, first, it needs to be something that people, that teachers pick up on straight away it affects children they need to know it's a different world for them they, they've got you know access to devices they're on devices at a young age they just need to know kind of what they're doing they need to be educated so I feel if there was something that we could change massively would would make that make online safety a huge priority for every single school in the UK and across the world really and and I think yeah I, I mean I could happily echo everything that Manja has just just said. I suppose I would also. I, I, I also think that our our education system is still built on a Victorian hierarchy of of subjects. You know, you have English and math at the core, and everything else seems to sit underneath it. And and of course, there's no doubt in my mind that they are still critical subjects. I think our fast-paced life is, is changing the world is changing has changed very very quickly in the last 10 months and yet we still have an education system which is a little bit of a sausage factory in terms of churning out you know teaching children knowledge over skills in order to pass a, a fixed type of exam and I and I think you know how how important creativity is, how important it is to be, to find, you know, resolve in, in emergency situations. We know this more than ever before, how, how important it is to have real life skills over, over knowledge. Knowledge is, is cheap nowadays. We can find knowledge so quickly from so many sources, but being able to teach children digital skills and creativity in order to problem solve and and understand the essence of you know creating business and and developing social missions and I just think there are so many skills that we could put into our education system which could benefit so many more children and you know it's it's an old 
it's an old story how everybody went to school with somebody who or or is or in their family who who has somebody who was failed by the education system and has gone on to be extremely successful and I, I just think with this fast paced changing world I think to 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 be able to make best use of tech skills that our children have and and keep, whilst keeping them safe and be able to use them creatively and for the greater good surely we've got to get that in as a core subject core subject somewhere so I think that that would be my my educational revolution for the education system so you mentioned a couple of times now that Natural Hope is built as a social media why is it important to teach children about the importance of managing and using social media responsibly? I mean, the, st the statistics about children being online, the soaring figures of, you know, online vulnerability associated with social media. We know about the impact of social media on young people when it affects them negatively, cyberbullying, etc. So I think it's, it's really important as a result of those stats to teach children that when you project yourself online, not only are you putting yourself out there, you, you need to recognize there's a distance between your public self and your personal self. And so from an emotional perspective, it's important to teach children to build that resilience, that guard, and also to teach that, that digital intelligence so that they are savvy and they can scroll through Instagram and recognize that, you know, this perfect lifestyle that is being projected from so many people, whether it's friends, whether it's influencers, whether it's the media, that actually there's an element of untrue in all of that. It's not just a question of, oh, this news is fake, this news is real. But so often the content that we see is about, you know, there's a bias or it's an opinion or it's been heavily, you know, financially backed. So it's of a certain quality or, and it's really tantalizing or it's really tempting. And, and I think the behavior around social media is one that is really interesting when we look at the reliance on social media for forming relationships in young people, whether sexual relationships or not, sharing, you know, nude images. There's so much accepted norms of behaviour that's just happened by accident because children have effectively found themselves in this digital landscape that was never designed with children in mind. So really... That's a long-winded way of saying that's why it's important to teach children about the importance of managing and using social media because we are also heavily dependent on it, whether it's socially, academically, because of our work. You know, there are just so many different facets to social media that pervade our lives now. So at Natterhub, we feel it's really a children's right to to understand the importance of that and, and know how to manage and use it responsibly in order to say it's to stay safe and happy. What is it like being part of Twinkle Hive? Tell us more about it and what's one thing that you believe is the biggest benefit of being part of the accelerator? Well there's so many benefits so not yeah that's a that's a tough one picking out one thing but it's been amazing. I mean we are both really 
grateful to basically be in the hive and have all the support that we've had today and really excited about the future together as well we've learned so much there's just so many things I mean I'll tell you a little bit about it and then I'll try and pick my one thing it's the team's that we've worked with have just been we wouldn't have really got to this point so quickly unless we had them on board you know experienced teams in education it's been amazing to work with them as well you know fun with so much experience where I think with Twinkle you know it it's not lots of people get get funding or join accelerators but I think it's very rare to join an accelerator when you're on exactly the same mission, which is fantastic for us. You know, we we both want to make a massive difference and, you know, they are making a massive difference. We're just starting out, but the goal is to make a, a massive difference in education. So we're completely aligned. Other benefits, every, every month we have uh, a catch up with the CEO the chief operating officer and then we bounce ideas off them and it's just great to get that that knowledge and that experience of business and education it's just it's so useful you know those that 20 minutes or half an hour to to get us in the right direction or to give us some tips and advice is is amazing and then the hive in general I mean the start other startups we it's a great community so we've got we were the first company to actually join the accelerator, but after us, we had Champion Health, Air Supply, recently Learning Ladders, and I think there's a few others that have joined. So it's a really good community. I think everyone's definitely an expert in their field, and it's just so nice to to have that support and network. Working in the office, I mean, we the office the hive actually got had a refurb and it looked amazing we did spend some time in there and then unfortunately the world changed but the office is it's it's amazing it's such a it's buzz I would probably describe it as you know it's very relaxed and it's got this buzz but everyone's just so focused at the same time I think we've been fully fully supported you know we're, we're so excited about the future working together and we're really grateful what we have achieved today I think if I, if I have to pick one thing I would say for us in our in our journey the biggest thing is has been the, the team we, we can't beat the teams that we work with because they've helped us obviously get to where we are today you mentioned briefly that you've already been funded can you tell us more about that share all the non-sensitive details with us and also give maybe advice to other Sheffield-based startups at the moment who still haven't been able to to get funded. What's what's the best way to do it? Sure. So so just maybe a little bit about our funding journey. So at the beginning, you know, I self it was self-funded. We put some cash into the project to get it to to the first stage, and then obviously we went out to raise raise some money. And we we spoke to everyone. We spoke to angels, VCs anyone who wanted to hear it and it was great it, it was actually really fun we've got thick skins as well so we can we can take it but the good thing was that everybody not one person didn't actually like or love the concept of what we had created majority of people actually said to us we're not really sure how you're going to get it into schools because at that time it wasn't compulsory you know how are you going to get it into schools how are you going to do this but we love the idea we know it's needed but can you please come back to us, you know, when you're looking for another 
another raise. Since then, we have had actually people approach us, which is quite nice now that we've actually launched. But so we, we were knocking on doors and we were you build yourself up you go and do your pitch and then yes it's great that people are really supportive of what you're doing but yeah it was a bit like come on we need to get this money so we can get cracking so I think it's just doing it together was really fun as well I think maybe if you're doing it alone it could be a little bit different but we bounced off each other and off we went and and went you know picked ourselves up and off and I think the key is is just to talk to as many people as possible the worst thing that's going to happen is that you get a no and then you you know you pick yourself up and you go again but you will learn guarantee you will learn something in every single meeting you have with every investor so we learned a lot and then I think the other thing that I would say to people now actually who are you know if you're going out trying to raise money I think it's great having an idea lots of people have ideas but you've got to have a plan there's got to be a plan you've got to back it up with how you're going to make it happen, how you're going to execute that plan. I think you need to do your your research. We had so many versions of our pitch deck. We were constantly doing our research and fine tuning. I think we've got, it was like, Caroline, can you knock up the next version? We just kept going and fine tuning it again and again and again. So I think it's great having an idea, but you've got to back it up with your figures, your research, what you're going to do, what your plan is, what you need. And I think for people that have not done that before, go and ask as many people as possible or reach out to a mentor that can help you or obviously go to someone like Twinkle Hive that are always looking for people that, you know, have got an idea and they look and they either want investment or they want to, to jump on, jump into the hive for some of their services. So that would be my advice to people that are, you know, to looking to, to raise funding and to, to accelerate their, their work. For us, we raised money in, in 2019 and Twinkle invested in us. Like I mentioned, we were the first company to join the accelerator. What In our first meeting, actually, and I think they, they said the same thing, which is, you know, it, it was a great idea, but they also loved the fact that we had a, a real plan, a plan in, you know, in, in place. We didn't just have an idea and a bit of paper and say yeah this is great this is what we're going to do we'd actually thought about it and we'd actually backed it up and we were ready we knew what we wanted we just needed the support to make it happen so we raised an amount in 2019 which was a a mixture of, of cash and service which was fantastic I think cash is obviously great because it's helped us grow our team last year we're now a team of 10 which has been really good. But I think what's been really important actually is for us actually is the services. So we've worked with the Accelerator. They've helped us to to work on our content. So we've created that, you know, together with teams. They've helped us with some of our tech. They've worked with us on marketing, basically everything that they've been involved, whether it's partnerships, marketing, sales, and we've really done it together. I mean, at the moment, you know, we are, you know, we're we're free and we're going to just see how that goes. We want to support as many schools um, as possible. And so we're keeping the product free so that everyone can benefit from what we've done. But yeah, I could do a a separate podcast on just fundraising. (laughs) 
maybe I can invite you again and we can speak uh, specifically about fundraising then. Yeah, no problem. Great. Now, Manjit and Caroline, I'd like to proceed with asking you the five questions that I ask all of my guests, if that's okay with you. Sure. So my first question is about books. If uh, both of you could recommend a book that you think every founder or future founder need to read. Um, so I would say, I know it's one that everyone, lots of people talk about this one, but I would say The Lean Startup. There's lots of other books, but I think with that as a, as a future founder, I think it's a great book. And I think it's one that I still dip in and out of. So I think it's a, it's a great one to read. I, I, I would think The Tipping Point is, is a good recommendation. And also I was, we've been renovating recently and I unpacked some books and found a book that somebody bought for me just before I set up my, the, the first business, the, the pedagogues, and it's called Will It Fly? And it was such comfort, actually, it terrified me the first time I read it. And opening it this time felt a bit more, a bit more comforting and was certainly able to relate to some of the scenarios in that book. But I think the book I would really recommend, a book I would really recommend is just any book on reducing, you know, stress, <laughs> anxiety, anything that promotes mindfulness and, you know, staying grounded, I think would be a good one. Why the name Nutterhub? Well, Manjit, we've got quite a story with this one, haven't we? When I first met Manjit, when, as we said earlier, I first had the idea the project was a school book and we we did use that for a while well no we we moved it we moved on from school book to natter book and then when we launched the first the first you know first few steps of the of the brand with with natter book we got some communication from uh, facebook's lawyer saying you can't use book at the end of your name for this kind of project. So we thought rather than spend energy and time debating that with them, we should perhaps just change the name. And actually, as all of these situations usually lead you to the right name in the end. So Natta, we just wanted a lighthearted word for communication. So Natta just feels like a nice, you know, naive way of saying communicate or have a chat. And Hub, obviously refers to the digital nature of the project and 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 really why why we've created Natterhub is is the best analogy to use is as parents you would you would never just expect your child to be able to swim without giving them swimming lessons and in the same way that you would never put them on a two-wheeled bike without teaching them previously with stabilizers. So we, we really want to create this notion that you don't just drop your children into the online world without some education and some guidance and some care and some handholding. So, you know, our, our mission to prepare children to thrive online, it's not enough just to be safe online, but when we're so dependent on the online space and on screens, it's only right that we prepare children to to thrive and be their best selves online. So yeah, so Natterhub really is the is the swimming lessons before we drop them into the the pool of online 
communication. What is one place in Sheffield that everyone should visit? Well, I think if you're listening to this and obviously you're a founder or a future founder, then, you know, you should go and see Amber at Twinkle Hive. <laughs> so if we're, if we're talking founders, then I think you should go and visit the Hive if you've got something, you know, an interesting idea, business idea that you've got a full plan, go and speak to Amber, who's the, the Hive manager there, and get and be inspired by the environment. You know, it's a great place to, to network. So yeah, rather than, yeah, I, I would say go to the Hive. I'd, I'd, well, I'd like to contribute with some, you know, really great <laughs> restaurant that we've visited or an amazing nightclub or, but as all entrepreneurs will tell you when you are getting a business off the ground, there's very little time for those, <laughs> for those moments. And so actually our focus in Sheffield has, been, has really focused around the hive. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I'm sorry to say we haven't had the chance because of the pandemic only we haven't had the chance to properly explore Sheffield in its in all its glory but I'm sure there are some amazing places that we should go everybody loves Sheffield that was the one thing that struck me about entering the hive and taking on this amazing team at, at, at Twinkle was you know just chatting away and asking where everybody was from and where they lived and it just felt like everybody you know got to Sheffield University one way or another and then never left because everyone loves Sheffield. If you both had 15 minutes with your 20 year old self what would you tell them? Yeah so I think my 20 year old self I would probably say I probably just I would say like think as as big as you possibly can no limits I think just think as big as you can and just go for it. You know, don't think about it. Just do it would be what I would have said to myself then. Well, I'm realizing now that it was about 2021 that I remember leaving university and as a you know trainee teacher, I was doing a B.Ed. And my lecturer said, right, Caroline, you know, you're just about to make your way into the world of education, what, what are you hoping to achieve? And I said, oh, I'm gonna cause a revolution in the education system. <laughs> and he laughed heartily. And I, I said it as a joke, you'll be relieved to know. But actually, probably now, I'd like to sort of say, you know, you, you really can do that if you put your mind to it. But I certainly didn't imagine my, my you know that I could my brother at the time was a, a successful entrepreneur and I used to look at him age 20 and think oh I would never take take those risks and do what he does and and yet here I am so yeah so I think probably what I said as a joke with a decent idea and the right business partner and and a positive experience and some grit and determination you actually can make that come true which I would have been astounded at I think at the time okay and my last question to both of you is to tell me with one sentence one big hairy and audacious goal for Natter Hub. well I think we've probably got the same one but it's that yeah. every Every child in the world 
needs to have a Nata Hub education before they have their, their first device. Yeah, for every child to, to have the right education and, and to understand the importance of being kind online. Okay, well, I think it's it's good time to end it here. Thanks a lot for your time, Manjit, Caroline. Thanks, Dennis. Thank, Thank you. you so much.